Thanks so much to Laura for standing in for Dean today and to our musicians and singers who have been so helpfully leading us in the praise of God this afternoon. Now, what I'm about to say is really obvious, but that's the thing. Sometimes obvious things need to be stated, don't they? And so, the obvious thing to state here in church this afternoon is that in this church, in Connor Presbyterian Church, it should be, and hopefully it is all about Jesus. After all, Jesus is in charge of this church. It belongs to Him. It's not my church or the elders' church or a church that belongs to any individual here in this meeting house this afternoon. And some of us here have had our lives changed by Jesus Christ, and we know Him to be our hope. And so, we want to see other people knowing what we know, believing what it is that we believe about Jesus. And so, we take steps as a church to make Jesus known to the community around us. Hopefully, it really is the case that we want to make much of Jesus in this place and among us as God's people. And two years ago, just at this time straight after Easter, we started to look together at the first part of the book of Acts, and we're returning to that book today. And I'm really excited about us returning to this book because we're going to look together at the story of Jesus continuing to work in His church, and we're going to think about what that means for us here in church today. Last time round, we looked at the growth, the birth, and the growth of the church within the city of Jerusalem, and that's what the first 12 chapters of Acts are all about. But we need to remember what Jesus said to His disciples before He returned to heaven, back at the beginning of Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. So, turn with me to that verse now. We didn't actually read it earlier on, but it's worth reading it now. And this is what Jesus said to His disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And that's what we read about in the first part of this book. But then he goes on, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I need you to realize how strange that would have sounded to the disciples when they first heard these words of Jesus. They could get the idea of a church being established in Jerusalem among people just like them. But the idea that the message of Jesus would be shared and the gospel would spread to all of the parts of the world would have really melted their minds. But that's exactly what we're going to learn about over the coming months. So that between now and Christmas, we're, we're putting quite a bit of time into this, on Sunday mornings together. 
We're going to look at the next part of this story as the focus shifts away from Peter and the church that had grown up in Jerusalem to Paul and Barnabas and the spread of the gospel right the way across the known world, the Roman Empire at this time. Now, I don't know about you, but I loved stories of missionaries when I was young. So, I have to admit, I loved those Sundays as a child when the minister got up and said, now, I'm not preaching a sermon today. Instead, this missionary has come along, and he's going to tell us, or she's going to tell us about the work that they're doing. And that really got me sitting up on my seat. And in particular, there was one missionary from my home church, Westkirk, a man called Edward Morrow, who'd been a missionary for a number of years in Africa. And Edward had been in what was then known as Zaire, and he'd got into all kinds of scrapes along the way. Well, we're going to read together this amazing story of missionaries and the scrapes that they got into as they share the good news of Jesus in new places. But today, for a short time, before we dive back into that story, I want us to remind ourselves of some of the background to this book, because I believe that by reminding ourselves of that again, it will actually help us to get more out of this book as God speaks to us from His Word in the coming months. So, I'd encourage you to look in your Bibles again to the opening part of Acts, and to Acts chapter 1, and in particular verses 1 to 5. And the first thing that I want us to think about is, who actually wrote this book? And if you were listening to what I was saying to the children, you'll know the answer. This book is written by Luke, who identifies himself as the author and refers to himself in the telling of the story. And this is the second book in the Bible that Luke writes. He is also the writer of that gospel that bears his name and which records the events of Jesus' ministry here on earth. In fact, Luke makes reference back to his gospel at the start of this book of Acts. If you look at how he opens the book, he says, in my former book, Theophilus, and he's talking about his gospel, his former book. And it's so important to see how Luke links this story that he's about to tell back to the story of Jesus that he's already told. And the thing that makes Luke so interesting is that he comes from a very different background from most of the other New Testament writers. And one really important thing to note about Luke is that he was a Gentile convert. That's so encouraging for us to hear today, that Jesus came not only to save people who were from a Jewish background, but He came to save people who would trust in Him from all kinds of backgrounds. And Luke was one of those people. He lived in a place where the Apostle Paul had visited called Troas, and there he heard Paul preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and he was saved. And then he made it his mission to tell others 
the good news of Jesus so that, in fact, Luke appears in the story. He's one of the characters in this book who we will meet in Acts chapter 16. And if you were to read your way through the book, there's a, there's a turning point in chapter 16. There Luke begins to talk about we in reference to those who were doing mission work. He's saying, I was part of this as well. So he gives us a great example of a changed life. And what I love about Luke is that he stuck with Paul right to the end. Towards the end of Paul's life, when he was imprisoned in Rome, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, only Luke is with me. He was the guy who did not bail out on Paul. And he shows us that a life that is changed by Jesus is a life that is committed to Jesus. So, Paul was a gospel writer. He was a convert, but also we discover that he was a medical doctor. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, Paul describes Luke as Luke, the beloved physician. And the Greek word that's used there does refer to a medical doctor. It's not that he was an academic or a, a doctor of letters. And I think that that's really significant. Indeed, I think that that can give us greater confidence in this book, not because doctors are better than the rest of us or more important than the rest of us, but because they are different in the way that they approach things. So that if you go to see your GP and you've been experiencing pain and you're worried about that, well, you don't expect to go in and for your GP, for him or her to say, oh, you don't look so good, right? Just take this and away you go. I don't want to talk to you, but just take that prescription and run. No, you expect, you rightly expect that your GP will ask you all of those diagnostic questions, will get to the heart of the problem, will refer you on to the right kind of specialist or further tests if required, because that's part of their training. And it was the same with Luke. He had that analytical mind. He asked all the right questions, and he applied his training to the most important thing that he would ever do, writing these books about the work of Jesus in his church. So that if you go right the way back to the beginning of his gospel in Luke chapter 1, verse 3, he, he tells us, I have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. I've done my research. And he says it's in order that he could write an orderly account. And that gives us confidence as we read of these events in the coming weeks. But that's who wrote the book. But what is this book all about? And there's a key thing for us to see in the opening verse of the book. If you look back at chapter 1, verse 1, and you see there that referring back to his last book, his gospel, he says to this guy, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began 
to do and teach. And it's that word began that is the key word for us to see. It's so important. You might imagine that when Luke wrote his gospel, and when he finishes that gospel with Jesus returning to heaven, that that was it as far as Jesus was concerned. Jesus' work was done, and he goes out of the picture. Now it's all about his followers. And in this book of Acts, he talks about what they did. But that's not how Luke sees it. He sees this as an ongoing story. So that the American writer and pastor Kevin DeYoung, he's entitled the book of Acts, The Continuing Work of Jesus. What is it Jesus said to his followers back in chapter 1, verse 4? Look at that verse again. He tells them, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. And there he's referring to the promise of the Holy Spirit. That's the way in which Jesus would continue to be present with his believers and to work in them. And the Holy Spirit is so central to this book. He's mentioned 57 times throughout the book of Acts. People, surely this gives us great confidence as we seek to serve Jesus. We do that in really challenging times. Sometimes it feels like we're having little impact on the wider community. It sometimes feels that we're having little impact on those within our own congregation. And we, we can become discouraged and weary, but Jesus is at work in His church. So finally then, one final question, why is it worth spending time in this book? Why are we going to set aside the rest of this year to consider the book of Acts when we meet together to worship God on Sunday afternoons? Well, for a couple of reasons. First of all, because as we read this story in the book of Acts, it presents us with a model church, a church that is a model of what the life and the ministry of this church should be like. This is a church that we should be like. Why? Well, first of all, because they were devoted. Look again at that beautiful summary of what this church in Jerusalem was like at the end of chapter 2 of Acts. And we'll look at that one verse, verse 42. And we're told that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And the key phrase there is, they devoted themselves. That means that this was by far the most important thing for them to do. It's what they spent their time doing. Now, here's a challenging question. Are we like that here in Connor? And is this what your life looks like? Because honestly, I'm not sure that it is. And as one of the shepherds 
of the flock here, that really concerns me. So here's my assessment of where we are at as a church. Far too many are sporadic in their attendance here at worship so that we consider worship as being an option on the Lord's day. It is not. It is commanded, and it's expected by the Lord. And if you treat church as an option at the weekend, if other things that you consider to be more important get in the way of you being here in the worship of the Lord, that is not right. And far too few are availing of opportunities to learn and grow. We were quick to return to an evening service here in Connor once we got past the restrictions of the pandemic, and we earnestly believed and still believe that was the right thing to do. And many of you told me that that was a good thing for us to do, but not many of you come. And far too few are engaged in prayer. And as we'll discover in a few moments, that must be the most concerning thing of all. And so here's what needs to happen. We need to raise the spiritual temperature here in this church. Now, I'm not talking about Alistair nicking off to the back into the corncomb room there into that wee cupboard and turning the thermostat up. I think we're warm enough physically here in church today, but we need to raise the spiritual temperature of this place and in our lives. And studying the book of Acts is a great way to do that. Because we read of a church that is a great example to follow. It was a devoted church. These were devoted people. But not only that, they were also zealous in gospel ministry. That means they were really committed to the task of making Jesus known to others. And in this next section, we're going to read about how the gospel spread far beyond Jerusalem. And the Apostle Paul was central to this task, and his zeal really stands out in this book. If you look later on in the book of Acts, if you turn to chapter 20 and verse 24, there Paul gives a farewell address to the elders in a place called Ephesus. Paul was the first person to preach the gospel there, and he planted a church in that city. And now years later, it was a church that was growing and had a set of elders. And this is what Paul says to them. Acts 20, verse 24, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And what an attitude. What an example. How important to you 
is making Jesus known to others? What are you prepared to sacrifice in order to do that and to support others who are engaged in that task? So, my hope and my heartfelt prayer is that we will be challenged. Indeed, we will be changed as a church as we spend time in this book, that the rest of this year spent in the book of Acts will raise the spiritual temperature here in Connor. But another reason why we want to spend time in this book, and it's our final thing, and that is that this is a book that shows us the incredible power of the Holy Spirit. And I love the balance that is struck here in this book because the people, God's people, they need to be devoted and zealous in the task of making Jesus known. But then we read that they need to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to fulfill that task. If the Holy Spirit is not present, all of their effort, all of their zeal will come to nothing. The early church this church of the first believers, it could have never overcome the obstacles and the opposition that it faced without the power of the Holy Spirit at work. And the same is true of us. And when I think about the history of this congregation, 200 years ago, 100 years ago, even 50 years ago, while people in Connor would have undoubtedly benefited from time spent in this book because God's Word is relevant at all times and in all places, some of its themes would have not resonated with those people because talk of opposition, of persecution, talk of sharing the gospel with pagans would have seemed alien to our forefathers who lived in such a Christian community, who were part of such a Christian society, but not anymore. There are generations of believers present here in church today who will count the cost of discipleship in a way that your parents and grandparents never had to. And I'm totally convinced that faithful gospel proclamation and ministry will become increasingly opposed and stifled even in my lifetime if I'm spared for a few more years. We know that we are part of a society that has moved away at speed from the standards of God's Word and from any kind of interest in and understanding of the gospel. So, people, what a time to immerse ourselves in this part of God's Word and to read its message of the power of God's Holy Spirit. And this is ultimately a story of ordinary men and women who changed the world because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, it's a story that should cause us 
to seek the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit in this church. And ultimately, it is a story that should prompt us to get on our knees and pray. Oh, how we need the continuing work of Jesus in His church today. How we need the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God to shake us up, to rekindle the embers and to set us alight inside so that we here in Connor would be devoted and zealous followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.